Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Go ahead and flip your Bibles open. Nehemiah chapter 4. Have you guys enjoyed this series? Amen. God's been good. It's been a, a challenging but yet encouraging series for me. Um, and I pray the same for you. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 4. And I, I like to read our whole passage just because I want you to see and hear uh, the context around all that's happening here um, in the passage. And so if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand your feet with me as we read the word of God together. And um, y'all going to have to be a little louder in here. I mean, we just had an awesome praise session. Give it up for the worship team. And I, I, before I jump into the Word, i got to give you a little teaching on this because sometimes I look around our room and they're up here worshiping their hearts out. They're killing it. And we're just standing there looking at them. And see, here's the reality. Sometimes you look at people, and especially people of color, and ask them, well, why are they jumping around? Why are they doing all these things? This is Black History Month, so i got to give you a little teaching. And so the church on Sunday morning historically was the, the space where black people were able to be who they are. And so when you're going through society throughout the week, Monday through Saturday, you had to be something else in culture. You couldn't be who you were. And so traditionally, you see a lot of black folks and people of color come in with suits on, and they're dressed up on a Sunday morning. But when they come, when they leave out of service, they're going to sweat at that joint out because they're praising God for how he's kept them through the week, literally kept them through the week. And so when you see us dancing, when you see us praising, it ain't no show. We're literally worshiping God because he's brought us a mighty long way. And the reality is he not only got us to Sunday, but he's going to get us through this week. And we're trusting him for another week. And so hear me. I want y'all to join in with me. Don't think you look silly up here when we're worshiping, okay? You got something to praise God about too. It's not just for black people or people of color. But when you come in, it's okay to raise your hand, okay? And if you ain't with it, it's okay. But don't look crazy at other people when they do it either, okay? All right, all right. Can we, can we agree on that? All right, amen, amen, amen. All right, Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. Hear now the reading of God's word. Now when Sambalit heard that we were building the wall, he was angry, greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes, what they are building. If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads. This is Nehemiah. And give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. And so we built that wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had mind, had a mind to work. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem, and it caused confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is falling, is failing. There, there's much, too much trouble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. And that, at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions. Don't miss this. They came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord 
Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon in the other. And each of the builders had, the, had his sword strapped around his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right side. Very word of God. Amen. Amen. Today I want to preach on watchful obedience. Watchful obedience. Let's pray. Father, even now, God, I pray that in this place, Lord, you would have your way. As we heard the song and sang it, we need you to speak to our hearts. Give us your holy word now. To that end, God, I do pray that you hide me behind your cross so that you may be lifted up in this place. Decrease me, Lord, so that you may increase. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we all said together, amen, amen. You can be seated. I remember when Kaylee and I planted this church some almost nine years ago, we were excited about the possibility of planting a gospel-centered, multi-ethnic church in the heart of Chicago, where we would bring together hundreds of people from across the city, where people would come to know Jesus and then go out and make Jesus' name visible and him all throughout the city. It was a huge vision, and quite frankly, uh, it was one that had not really been accomplished or realized in our city, let alone not many times in the nation. It's gospel-centered, multi-ethnic church led by a black man. And now, just to give you some background, multi-ethnic churches are probably about 2.5% of churches across America, not the globe, and that's an 80-20 rule. 80% one ethnicity and 20% the other. To me, that's really not multi-ethnic, but that's the measure. And that's 2.5% of churches across our nation. And with that, most of those are not led by a person of color. So their percentage drops quite a bit, which means most likely these multi-ethnic churches are monocultural, okay? It means that it may look multi-ethnic, multicultural when you walk in, but as you get to know the church, it tends to lean or lend towards one culture. You know what I'm saying? I'm not sure if you know what I mean on that. I mean, Kaylee and I, we had this big vision of planning this church that we believe God had called us to start, but it didn't come without hardships. Didn't come without naysayers. We, we left a stable job in Memphis, Tennessee, where I was pastoring, and we came here to raise our financial resources and have no church. <laughs> we were told by folks that we, high, we looked up highly that, uh, that this is probably not going to work. 
In fact, a pastor that I love and look up to told one of our coworkers, Steve, he told one of the coworkers, he said, look, they're going out and planting a church. It's like a 30-week-old baby coming out of the womb too early who may struggle and may live, but also may not make it. True story. One prominent pastor here in the city who will remain nameless said to me, Derek, he said, you got a master's degree. You're a pretty successful black man, so why don't you go plant a church for successful black people? And then others would say the same thing after him. Nobody really understood what we were about to do. Our families thought we were crazy. You got a master's degree, you're doing well, you're making ends meet, you're flourishing a bit, but you're going to uproot all of that and then come start a church out of nothing? It makes no sense. They didn't understand. They thought we were crazy. We had people leave the church in the first few years. We had locations that were lost last minute where we thought we would start the church. We've been without a staff. We've gone through a pandemic. We've not known if we're going to make it year after year. But can I tell you something? As we stayed obedient to the call of God on our lives, this church continued to prevail. Renewal is now not just making it, but we're flourishing as a church. We're impacting the city on multiple different levels of society. I'm not only the lead pastor of this church, but I lead the Chicago Partnership and train pastors here all throughout the city and then have a, a platform to teach pastors all over the country. My wife and I speak on national stages all the time. And I'm not saying this to pat us on the back and say, look at what you all are doing. No, Here's what I'm trying to get at. When God calls you to do something, you need to have a watchful obedience while you're doing it. What do I mean with that? You got to know that hard times will come. You have to know that people and circumstances will try to steal your joy. You have to know that you will doubt time and time again. But with all of that, even in the midst of that, you have to remember What the Lord has called you to do. And if it's his will, you know what? Stick to it because he'll get you through it. Some of y'all not amening because here's the truth that that we have to wrestle with. I I think we, instead of sticking to things, we, we just give up way too easily. First sign of trouble, we run. Job gets hard. Oh, I got to find a new job now. I got to find a new job. Marriage, some issues start happening. To the left, to the left, to the left. Time for I got divorce. I'm going to find me a new one. Oh, you know, my, my friends turned their back on me. You know, it, it, Mark Kelly, I, I guess I tried this community thing, and now it's time to keep to myself. I'm not, I'm not being vulnerable anymore. Nope. Oh, I didn't like what the church said or did. Uh, you know, you got to find a new church. Oh, I ain't even going to church. I'm done. Listen, listen to me. Jesus never promised life without hardships. In fact, you read John chapter 16. He says that living in the world will come with its hardships, but take heart because I've already what? He says, I already overcome the world. Do not give up renewal. We have to remain watchful, knowing hard times will come. And when they come, trust and obey God, knowing that he'll get us through it. See, if, if Kaylee and I just, just sat in the way we felt, we listened to what everybody just said about us, or even we just... Gave in and just said, man, this is too hard. And I'm going to be honest, there were times where we were like, I don't know about this. But if we sat there too long and just believed those lies, there would be no renewal. Stay watchful, family, and obey the Lord. So I got to ask you, because I don't know what, what it is the Lord is doing in your life. 
but I do know he's doing something in your life or else you wouldn't be sitting here today. He's working in your life. I don't know what it is. Some of you may be sitting here and saying, I'm trying to figure out this faith thing. I don't know if I believe in Jesus. I'm not sure yet, but I'm here. Some of you are here and say, well, I'm trying to get my life together. I'm trying to live with a straight and narrow. I'm trying to be right before the Lord. I'm working on it. God is doing something in your life. I don't know what it is, but I got to ask you, are you being watchful in your obedience? We're going to see Nehemiah do just that here in the text. And I got three points with that as we get started. Number one, threats will come. Threats will come. Number two, God will fight for his own. God will fight for his own. And number three, remain watchful. Remain watchful. Now, as we get into the text, just a bit of background here to catch you up to speed in case you missed the last few weeks leading up to this. Nehemiah here has heard that the Jerusalem's walls have been burned down. They've been torn down. They've been destroyed by fire. Nehemiah now prays for favor that God would would him access to go back and fix the walls of Jerusalem. He, he asked that he would have favor in the, in, in the presence of the king and he would grant him passage to uh, build up Jerusalem again. The king notices his servant's face that he saddened at four months after Nehemiah praised this prayer to God and he's the cupbearer to the king and so he's with the king day and night but this one day the king noticed his face and he says why are you sadding what is wrong and Nehemiah looks at the king and says essentially my homeland has been broken down it's burned down and I want to go rebuild it the king gives him permission to go build these walls and rebuild Jerusalem get the people back in there and against all odds Nehemiah goes back all the haters and people that are saying things about him he makes a plan he gathers the people and they start rebuilding the wall Last week, Pastor Steve, he walked us through chapter 3, where the premise of the chapter was, unless everybody jumps in and plays a specific role, the nation won't be rebuilt. Essentially, what he said is that rebuilding takes everyone. And just to reiterate it a bit, and also what I've been saying in weeks leading up to this, is that family, we are in an unprecedented time right now as a church, coming out of this pandemic, recommitting our lives to the Lord and being in the word, we as a people, honestly, we're kind of just like the Jews here in the context of, of Nehemiah. We've drifted in many ways in our faith, and we have, some of us, have left or strayed away from God who loves us. See, this has caused somewhat of an upheaval within our souls, in our lives, and in our families, and it's time to rebuild. It's time to trust God, like Nehemiah, for more. It's time to believe God can grow this church and really impact this city on multiple levels of society and do far more than whatever we can imagine. It's time for us to rededicate and give our lives to the Lord and watch him do amazing things in and through us like the murder rate decreasing, poverty decreasing, injustice ceasing, healing, churches being planted, much, much more that I believe God wants to do through his church. But listen, none of this happens if we don't rebuild together. Like I said earlier last year when we were going through our vision time, we can't be a church where, we, where we're full of people who, who just have their foot one in and, and one on the dock. Y'all, we can't go nowhere if you just, you just straddle in the fence like, I don't know if I'm in. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. This ain't about the church. It's about you and God. I need you all the way in with us, meaning that you're jumping all the way in, giving your time, your talent, and your treasures to the work of the ministry. And when we do that, you know what happens? We see the church on the move like never before. We see God do amazing things in our midst. And with that, that's exactly what you see right here in the text. In chapter 3, this is what happens. Chapter 3, all the people, they set out and they rebuild the nation. You read it, they bring all of their skills, all of their gifts, and they start rebuilding this wall. Again, as Steve said last week, each one of you in here have a gift, 
have a talent, you have things that when we come together, that's what makes up the church. We come together and we build the church together. When we give our time, our talent, our resources to the work of the ministry, the church goes forward, but the kingdom of God also advances. But see, as I told you in week two, whenever you set out doing what you believe God has called you to do or living right before the Lord, enemies start to rear their hideous heads. This is what we see as we get to chapter four. Old Sam Bilet of chapter 2, he comes back in the midst, y'all, and he starts presenting opposition to the people here once again. In verse 1, as you look at it, it says Sam Bilet was angry. He was greatly enraged, so he jeered at the Jews. He starts asking questions, like <laughs> mocking them, like, what doing? You think you can rebuild this wall by yourself? It, you think it's going to be strong enough? You, are you going to sacrifice? Come on now. I'm telling you, man, he's just a hater. Straight up. I mean, you're just hating on them. And, and then, then, Pete, this, he, he grabs an audience. And Tobiah, the other hater from chapter 2, starts to chime in. He's got words too, family. Like I said, it's wild how when you start to do things right and you live according to the will of God, what you believe is right. All the enemies start to come out of the woodwork, trying to bring you down. Anybody been there before? And here's the thing. It may not just be people. It might be your thoughts. It could be Satan. Or it could be people like you see in this text. Friends, we have to realize that there is a visible threat in Satan, an internal threat that lives within us, in our hearts, and within our minds, through our doubts, and an external threat that exists within people and circumstances that we can't control. All three of these threats exist, and if we're naive to the threats that surround us, we're now liable to failure. And if you look at this text, that's exactly what starts to happen. The enemies... They start getting angry at the prevailing of the people of God. And their empty threats start to turn now into actual threats. But before this happens, our man Nehemiah starts to do what he does best. He drops to his knees and he starts to pray. Don't miss this, family. Listen, when you start to notice the threats surrounding you, Enemies starting to surround you, whether it's within you or outside of you, it's important that you not try to fight those threats by yourself. What I mean is, don't listen to the age-old lie of, I just got to white-knuckle this thing, and I got to tie my shoes up a little tighter, and, and, and I just got to get to work and rely on my own strength. No, it's a lie. That, that could be part of what you need to do, but that's not where you need to start. Whether it's a big or small threat in your life, whatever it is that's coming in your life, we got to learn to turn first to Jesus. See, by praying, when you pray and you go to Jesus, what Nehemiah is doing right now is he's acknowledging the opposition, but also he's acknowledging that he doesn't want to walk through this thing by himself, but he wants to go through it with God. See, the God of the universe, here he is. He's saying, I'm praying to you. And sometimes you just got to remind yourself of who is on your side. Here is the God of the universe on his side, which now gives him the courage, watch this, to, to walk through any trial or stand up against any threat that may come his way because there's nothing that's too big, there's nothing that's too small, or trial that's too much for God to handle. See, believers need to be reminded of who's with them. Especially in a world that tells you, you can do it all by yourself. Nehemiah here prays, and I, I love his prayer because it's not just one for strength. But, but he asked the Lord to fight their battle. And that the enemy's schemes, he says, would you turn their schemes on their own heads because they're not fighting really against us, Lord. This is... This is your land. This is what 
you've called us to do. You've made provision for me to go back into this land. This is your will. Therefore, I need you, God, to fight this battle. See, sometimes I think believers, you know, when, when enemies and hard times, doubts start hitting you, haters come into the picture, all these things come against you, we tend to fail and remember, fail to remember and believe that we're not alone. We, we, we forget that God is with us at all times. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 6 through 8, and Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, to be strong and courageous. Do not fear, for it is the Lord that goes with you, and he will what? He will never leave you nor forsake you. But see, what commonly happens is that believers forget this, don't we? We forget this and all type of fear starts to creep in. Doubts start to come into our mind and our heart. And now we tend to rely on ourselves instead of the God who saved us. Now you waver in your confidence that you once had in the plan of the call that you believe God had on your life. Uh, God, this is too hard. I don't, I don't believe this is for me anymore. We start to doubt and waver. And for the non-believer, it's really worse. Because all you had in the beginning was yourself. All the way through it. And, and so when things hit you and the naysayers start to come in and around you, when times get tough... We just say, well, I'm going to buckle in a little bit more. I'm going to find an ounce of strength within me, within my heart. But hear me, what happens when you by yourself don't have what it takes? What happens when pandemics hit? What happens when the stock market crashes and you don't have any more money? What happens when your business goes down the drain, when your loved ones start passing away? What happens when things happen that are out of your control and no matter how much strength you have or think you have, you don't have enough? This is one of the reasons why we see a massive rise in anxiety and depression in our society. Humans were not made to carry all of the burdens of this life by ourselves. We got to learn like Nehemiah to rely and always turn to the Lord. Y'all kind of quiet in here. I must be in your kitchen. <laughs> See, but instead of turning to the Lord, what happens is in the text, just like the Jews, you know, we, they're just like us. What tends to happen, like the predecessors in the, in the wilderness who wandered for some 40 years, they begin to waver. Nehemiah prays and the people begin to work on the wall. But verse 7, it says that Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Astadites started a plot to kill and to tear down the work of the Lord here. Now, now let me see if I can paint this for you because you can get lost in this. Geographically, when you put all these people together, all of these people that are coming around now, uh, the, the Jews, it, it lets us know that based on all of these people, that their enemies were geographically surrounding them. All of these people were surrounding Jerusalem right now. The Jews literally have their enemies on all sides. In verse 9, despite all of this, Nehemiah and his crew, they pray for the protection of God and, and they keep trying to work. But watch what happens. I don't want you to miss this. The word of the enemies gets out. And the people that are family members of those that are working on the wall begin to be terrified. And they come rushing to the place where all the builders are, and they tell them, you got to stop. They're pleading for them to stop. Now listen to me. These are family members. They're, they're Jews. They supposedly believe in the same God of the universe as the ones that are building the wall. But right now, they're frightened. And they come and persuade the others. They're trying to persuade them from working. You got to stop. You got to leave now. Friends, I said it a couple weeks ago, and I got to say it again. 
Sometimes your family's intentions are good, but they're not always of God. The intention here right now of keeping them from harm is good, but it's not of God. Which, watch this, means that it's a threat to the will of God. I know y'all don't like that. That hurts. Sometimes, listen, your threats, they're not just invisible in Satan. They're not just internal within your heart or within your minds. They're not just external within circumstances and people and things that you can't control. Sometimes your threats come from the people that are closest to you. Friends, you got to be leery about always sharing or going to people that are closest to you before you go to God. Look at this text. Look at what happens. Look at Job and his friends. Friends, this is why it's important for you to be in a right relationship with Jesus, where you're reading your Bible and you're praying for yourself. You can't always depend on your family and friends. Your relationship with Jesus ain't your mama's relationship. It's yours. This is why when people come, and it's Membership Sunday, so I hope y'all come. But when people come there, they're, I, I always ask them, like, when did you come to know Jesus? And they're like, Pastor, Pastor, I grew up in the church. I've been around the church my whole life. I, I've been around everything. I, I, I went to church four Sundays a week. And I'm like, wait, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up. It's only one Sunday a week, first off, but that, that's another story. But, okay, you, you grew up around the church, you did all those things, but when did you believe in Jesus? Because just because you've been around something or you grew up in the church does not mean that you know Jesus for yourself. It does not mean that you know what you have been saved from just because you've been around it does not mean that you know him. You have to know Jesus for yourself and what he has saved you from because when hell starts knocking on your door and all those enemies are surrounding you, you got to know how to call on the name of Jesus and say, I need you, Lord. I need you to save me. Your mama can't do that for you all the time. You need to know Jesus for yourself. Man, I wish I was in a chocolate church right now. Y'all quiet. Friends, when hard times hit and you don't know what to do, you got to be leery of just running to those that are closest to you. And you got to learn how to run to Jesus first. The family members here in the text, they come crying to Nehemiah and his crew about stopping the work and, and they're returning home and they're like, come on home, come on home because... They don't want their loved ones to be killed. And, and watch what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah is seeing that some of his workers right now, they're, they're, being, they're being stirred up a little bit, maybe believing what they're saying, their fear that start to come over because of the family members. He models what we should do. Verse 14, he stands up in the midst of everyone. Look at it with me. He says this, not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and will fight for your brothers your sons, he says, fight for your brothers, your sons. Remember the Lord. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. You got to love Nehemiah. In the middle of all of this opposition, family members, external threats, internal, all of this, he stands up and says, remember the Lord. Everyone say remember. remember. He says, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord that freed our ancestors from Egyptian captivity. He's trying to get them to remember. Remember the Lord who has freed us from Babylonian captivity. Remember the Lord who has brought us this way, and he's made a, a way for us to build on to this wall. We got to remember the Lord. He says, don't fall now, but stand firm and remember the Lord. Amen. See, Nehemiah is saying, I know that times have gotten hard for us, and, and we're surrounded by enemies, all, our, all, all sides. But remember, we serve a mighty God who will fight our battles. Family, sometimes when things get hard in life, we just need to be reminded of who fights for us. 
And I'm not sure who needs to hear this this morning, but you often hear and you feel like everything in your life is going wrong. Your back is up against the wall and you feel like enemies and threats are all around you. And you're not sure if you can take this anymore. Can I encourage you? Do like Nehemiah does. Call on the name of the Lord and know that he's with you. And because that's true, you belong to him. Amen. And he will take care of you. Amen. Y'all missed it. When you get in these times where you feel like threats are all around you, don't give up. But instead, call on the name of the Lord. And in doing so, you now know or bring the remembrance that you are his. And he will now care for you and fight for you. He's been doing that all along. Sometimes you just got to be reminded that that the Lord is with you and that you are his. And then someone else in here, you're like, man, Pastor D, I I, I don't know. I haven't gone through anything. It's been a good week. I'm I'm good. This, This ain't for me. I'm good. Listen, listen. Trouble is always right around the corner. Old folk used to say it this way. You're either going into a storm, you're in the storm, or you're coming out of the storm. And whatever position you're in, one has to always learn to trust and believe that the Lord is with you. So that when trouble comes, because it will, you know that he will fight for you and you will prevail. Now, watch what happens in the text, though. Nehemiah says this to them. He says, remember the Lord. And he doesn't know how God's going to work this thing out, but he trusts the Lord. Now, it's another sermon for another day, but sometimes we miss the working of God and him fighting for us because we want him to do it our way. Most of the time, God ain't going to show up the way you want him to because it's not your will. It's his will. (laughs) The text says, verse 15, that the enemies knew that... They knew that, that, that the people here in, in Jerusalem knew that they were going to do this thing. And, and what does it say? God frustrated their plan, which allows the Jews now to go back to work. Now, you got to think about this. Sometime, somehow God now confuses, confuses all of the enemies. And although they're flanked on all sides, they're surrounding the people here in Jerusalem. They couldn't go forward with their plan. The threat is over. Now, it doesn't say what God did. It just says that God frustrated the enemy's plan. Somebody missed their shout because God is good. Here are these people flanked on all sides, but yet they can't go forward. They're they're confused with their plan. They ain't really even need a plan. They just need to go attack. But God causes confusion, and they can't take out the people, and they keep on building. Sometimes, friends, when it seems like the walls are closing in on you, and it seems like nothing is going right, instead of getting up in arms and in a frenzy, you sometimes just need to stay obedient and trust the Lord to work it out. You don't know how he's going to do it, and you don't have to know how he's going to do it. You just need to trust. Sometimes all you got to do is be obedient and remember the Lord. Now, as we head home in our text, we learn that threats will come. And we have to stay obedient knowing that God will fight for us. But lastly, I got got to clear something up here because just staying obedient in the face of opposition and trusting the Lord does not mean do not be watchful and on guard. Look at verse 16. Although Nehemiah has prayed and stayed obedient in the face of his enemies where he's seen the Lord working, My boy ain't no fool here. I love this. I love this. He says to the workers, half of y'all, half of y'all, from now on, you're going to have spears in your hand, shields, bows, and coats of mail, while the other half are going to work on the construction. 
Nehemiah says, although we trust the Lord, we still got enemies and we need to be watchful and protect one another. And please don't read this wrong because Nehemiah is not saying we ain't going to trust the Lord and we're going to make it all work on our, on, our, on our own strength. That's not what he's saying. Verse 20, he says the Lord will still fight our battles, but we still have to stay watchful. There's a tension there. And friends, I got to help you with this because some of us do this thing and we get it all wrong. Being a Christian does not mean you can walk around and do life as if nothing is going to happen to you. Being Christian means quite the opposite. It means that you are watchful. It means that you have to be watchful and know that you live in a world that is totally against or opposed to what you believe in, which means you got to be prepared in and out of season because people and enemies and threats are all around you. And I ain't saying this to be fearful. I'm just telling you to be watchful. This means, listen to me, we got to be ready to make war. And I'm not talking about with your hands or with your weapons. Because the battle isn't exactly the same as the opposition Nehemiah faces. But if you read closely through the gospel, I'm going to try to break this down for you because I don't know if y'all with me. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you look at Jesus. Jesus was kind of gangster, y'all. We, we, we try to paint this picture of Jesus with flowy hair and all this stuff, and he's nice and feeble and all. No, man. Jesus was kind of, boy. Je, Jesus, Jesus would step up to people, and, and he, would, he would never shake or tremble or anything. Like, Jesus is going to tell you what it is. He, he's never going to change who he is. I mean, he did this in the face of opposition and the spiritual leaders. He walks up to the spiritual leaders in the middle of the court where everybody's around. He calls them broods of vipers and whitewashed tombs. That's like you cursing somebody out in the middle of the courtroom. He flips over the money changer tables in the middle of the temple. He was hung on a cross because he wouldn't submit to the spiritual leaders of the day and instead proclaim himself as God and defeat Satan, sin, and death when he rises from the grave. Amen. This is Jesus. But that ain't enough, is it? Paul was locked in chains several times for preaching the gospel. He never shut up. Peter, y'all don't believe me. I'm going to keep on going. Peter was stoned. And history says that he was crucified upside down for preaching the gospel. Many Christians were beheaded, thrown off of cliffs, burned at stakes so that we can enjoy the comfy confines of the church that we sit in today. But guess what? This is where I step into your neighborhood. The church has lost a lot of that zeal. We don't fight anymore. We don't stand strong anymore. Y'all may not like this, but the church has become too accepting of things that are totally against the word of God. I mean, the Grammys this last weekend just went by. And I love hip-hop music. But there was a scene where they, they sing the song God did. I like the beat and all this, but I'm watching it. And they literally sit at a table, Jay-Z in the middle, acting as if he's Jesus, and the rest of the rappers are the disciples. They're mocking the Last Supper. And we sit back and say, oh, that was, that was a nice art show. I mean, man, they did a great job up there. That was, did you see the centerpieces? Did you hear how he rapped that verse? Have no problem with it. I love hip-hop music, but that was a problem. We sit back as injustice hits, whether it be racism, political mayhem, murder, poverty, etc., and we say and do nothing many of the time. Or even worse, because someone may feel a certain, weather, a certain way, whether it be sexuality, immorality, lying, cheating, instead of standing firm on the word of God, you know what we do? We start to twist the scripture to make them feel better. Y'all don't like this, I know, but it's true. Friends, hear me. Listen. You can love your neighbor and still stand firm on the word of God. Amen. Jesus loved the world and he never changed who he was to get his message across to the person or people he was preaching to. 
to be watchful today may not mean you have to wield a sword or have a gun, but you better know this weapon that God has given you because there's a spiritual war that's going on. And many times the only weapon you have is the word of God in your prayer life. So listen to me. And I'm going to end here. As we seek to rebuild as a church, some of us in here, if we're honest, need to dedicate our lives and rededicate our lives to Jesus, not only being Savior, but Lord in our lives. Which means we're no longer driven by our passions, no longer driven by our desires or how we feel or what people have to say about us. But we stand firm on truth. And through that, we love the world around us. Y'all don't believe me, though, do you? See, Jesus came and he showed the world something different. He proclaimed truth while still serving the needy. He called out the powers to be while still healing the sick. He spoke out against injustice and racism, loving others. Nobody else would. And he died so that God's justice could be served, not on us, but on himself. Renewal, listen to me. Don't live to please people because in the end, it will only hurt you. Live to please God. And in doing so, He will fight your battles. And he will bring people to know the same love, the same joy, the same peace that you know on a day-to-day basis. Stand firm, family. Stand firm and watch God work in and through us to build this church. But hear me, this only can happen When we remember the Lord and keep him at the center of our lives. Just imagine with me. Imagine a church full of people who got busy in the word of God, reading it daily and prayed for themselves and didn't just come to church on Sundays to get a good word. What could God do? Imagine a church that gives to the work of the ministry instead of sitting back and saying, all those Nehemiah-like people, they they work hard, they got it, I'm just going to come sit in my chair every week. No, no, imagine if we gave our lives to the work of the ministry, our time, our talent, and our resources. What could God do? Imagine a church that is watchful and stands against false teaching but loves people through the word of God, not beating them down with truth nor twisting the word of God either. Family, I could go on and on and on, but what if we remember the Lord? What if we were watchful in our obedience? What could God do? This all starts with us believing in the Lord's provision in the face of all the opposition that surrounds us, whether that's invisible, internal, or external, will you trust God with me for more while at the same time staying watchful in your obedience? That starts with you saying, Lord, here I am. Total surrender. I'm all yours. Will you join me in doing so? And watch God do something amazing in our midst. Let's pray, family. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for your goodness, God. We thank you for loving us even when we don't truly love ourselves. God, we thank you that you fight for us. 
We thank you for the way Nehemiah models it. He doesn't do anything outside of prayer. Or he doesn't have to at least. But at the same time, he's watchful. Protecting those that he's with. Believing that you're going to do something great in their land. And Lord, I believe that you're up to something here in this church. You're up to something in the lives of your people. Lord, Lord, would you work in our hearts so that we believe not just the work you want to do outside of us, but the work you're doing in our hearts. Speak to our hearts, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray for the person here that's struggling with faith, that's saying, I, I'm here, but I, I don't know if I truly believe in Jesus, God. They're here in the right place, and as I said earlier, Lord, I believe that you're doing something to work in their midst. I, I believe that you brought them to the right place, God, where they trust you right now. And would it not stop there, but would you do things that they could never imagine through their lives after you have worked in their hearts? God, I pray for the person here, even myself, God, where we need to come time and time again, humbly before you, saying, I've been off. I need you to be Lord of my life. You take the wheel of my life, Lord. Take me where you want me to go. Have your way. And in that, Lord, blow me away with what you're going to do. Lord, that's my prayer for our church as we rebuild, as we commit. Blow us away, God, with what you want to do. And in the midst of opposition, let us stand firm, knowing that you will fight for us. God, we thank you. It's your name that we pray all these things. Everyone said together, amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.